coaching is changing. No more gatekeepers. No more barriers. No one standing between you and your readers. Do you want to make a living from your writing? Join indie bestseller Mark Dawson and James Blatch as they shine a light on the secrets of self-publishing success. This is The Self-Publishing Show. There's never been a better time to be a writer. Hello and welcome. It's The Self-Publishing Show with me, James Blatch. And me, Mark Dawson. Uh, good afternoon, Mark Dawson. How are you doing? How's the world of best-selling author Mark Dawson? Uh, yes, it's okay. Just had a few uh, technical in- issues today with, uh, well, it's very boring, completely off topic. We, we have a, a nest uh, doorbell oh, on yeah. the gate. So we have reasonably large houses, you know, and, and it's quite a long way from the gate to where I am now. So I don't actually ne- necessarily know when people are there. Anyway, the doorbell's packed up. I tried to fix it this morning and made it worse. So that's good. Um, so, and expecting a delivery today, which has just arrived, which was oh. why I was a little bit late coming I to see. the uh, I like, um, to record this. I like watching those nest videos of bears going up to people's houses in, in well, well, not around here, because there are no bears. No. No, we don't have any bears. Um, Impossible. Are they, are they bears. stealing picnic baskets? Or? Well, I think people put out their candy this time of year for the uh, delivery <laughs> yeah. people, and the bears uh, help themselves to that, that sort of thing. So. We should ask Craig Martell, because I think he has. Um, yeah. he's in bear country, well, isn't he? I, I think um, people in Pennsylvania see bears. I mean, Cecilia Mecca yes, pulled up to true. her house, yeah. and her daughter says, can we stay in the car for a bit? And <laughs> she said, well, well, there's a bear right. on the drive. But uh, yeah. I, I would think it would be That's quite reasonable. a treat to see a, a bear in real life. Actual wild. We bear. saw three. We saw three deer this morning on the dog walk. There's quite a lot of deer around here, and Scout Lovely. usually see usually sees them before I do. Yeah. Not always. Thankfully, I saw him, I saw them first this morning and uh, got him on his lead because bless him, he he loves chasing deer. He loves it, and he's he's been gone for like up to half an hour before. Oh no, um, Fenton. He always comes back. <laughs> yeah, Fenton is there. He always comes back, but um, I don't know why. It's one of those situations where you kind of think, what would you do if you caught it? Yes, you won't be able to preserve much faster. I know. They probably weigh, they weigh obviously more than he does. Yeah. So, And there's three of them. What, what's he going to do? I know. Golden, our golden retriever is the same. He'll chase. He'll, if we, we, once he's gone in amongst sheep, only once, farmer listening. Uh, but he just wants to play with them. He wants to be their friend. Mm. You know, he's such a goofy yeah. dog. Anyway, look, let's crack on with some more publishing related stuff and SPF related stuff. We have uh, the winners, well, sort of winners, the people we did say in the last podcast that the next 10 people who signed up to the self publishing show would get one of those bright scarlet hoodies, which are very fetching indeed. And I can tell you the winners are the following 10 people who all signed up uh, Lindsay Gallagher, Helen O'Neill, Janice Papworth, Timothy Lewis, Katie Forrest, Clara Landgreen, Amber Clemenson, sorry, Amber Clemenson Chapman, I should say, uh, Laura Garcia. John Parnham and Imelda, oh, here we go, uh, Mikalchik, 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 I think that is probably pronounced. Um, so Catherine now has the job of sending hoodies around the world. Um, hopefully there's nobody in, um, I don't know, might be somebody in Australia, Australasia, but it costs more than the hoodie cost to produce, that's for sure, to send it there, but well done. And you have to wear them, even though it's June and they're thick wool, you have to wear them when you come to the conference. That's the rules. Um, the other thing we want to talk about, because it's that time of year, Mark, where we start to look at the applicants for the SPF Foundation. This is a serious bit of cash that goes into this um, found, these foundation awards now. This is an opportunity for authors to get uh, a lot of stuff to get them on the road. And I think uh, uh, we just want to put a final call out for people who want to be considered. 
Yeah, so the foundation we've been doing it for I don't know five years now, something like that, and and it is it's a pretty generous package. So it's it's kind of sponsored by us and also by a number of um, very kind authors and author services people. So uh, you know, Written Word Media sponsor, Lucy Score sponsors. I think Craig Martell is sponsoring for the first time this year. Mark Recklow. I'm going to miss some people out here, so apologies for that. But there are but James must Rossone. be. <clears throat> James Rossone, yeah, there's, there's a good, a good written few word people. media. Let's not miss anyone out because I think it is, it is listed here on the notes. Mm. Um, Reeds, oh, yes, of course, Reeds are also part of the uh, the process. They're actually part of the foundation with us. Um, yeah. And yeah, Craig Martell's the new one with the sci-fi authors. I think that is everyone. I think you've got everyone there. Yeah, so they they basically um, uh, we all kind of chip in. So there's a there's a fund, quite a lot of money now in the fund, which is distributed to the uh, the winners to help them with getting started you know typically by using Reedsy to find cover designers or editors whatever it is they that they need um and we also chip in with both of our main courses so ads for authors and, and launchpad are included as well so i mean in, in total i think the the awards are worth several thousand dollars each uh, both in terms of money that you can spend on services and and the courses so it's a pretty um I think it's a pretty generous package and, and we've had a few authors now who've done very very well i mean the most our kind of most successful foundation winner was Britt andrews who went from i think you know fair to say being quite close to losing her house um to making mid mid five figures every month now she's doing exceptionally well and spoke at the conference last year so and she's not the only one there have been a number of, of people who this has been um helpful Gomery Kimber was a winner last year and I, I see he's doing well now too so it, it's definitely worth applying there, there are some um, qualification criteria that need to be met um, and you can find out what they are and also how you go about applying for the foundation at the SPF website and if you go to selfpublishingformula.com and up on the right hand side I think is a tab which is labeled foundation and you can find all the information that you need there and uh, what you need to do in order to apply. But definitely do do that sooner rather than later because we will be starting to make this year's selections probably around about Christmas time. Yes. I think Elle Thorpe as well isn't, was a foundation woman, yeah. wasn't she? She's doing yeah. doing really well. So, yes, that's um, definitely uh, can do exactly what it says on the tin, be a foundation for a super author career. Good. Okay. Well, look, we've got somebody on the, uh, uh, the interview today who has done it been there and is printing the money as a result his name is michael brent collings he is a horror writer he's been the winner of awards such as the bram stoker award he's somebody who also gives a lot back to the author community he is uh somebody you can go to to learn some of the basics such as formatting and so on so michael brent's a really interesting guy he's got a good podcast set up as well uh, let's hear from michael brent and then uh, mark and i'll be back for a quick chat at the end of the interview this is the self-publishing show there's never been a better time to be a writer michael brent collins welcome to the self-publishing show i was just saying to you off air you have a very pro looking background i'm quite jealous i don't get jealous very often because i quite like my background but that looks amazing you know it, it, when you look like this you do anything to detract now you're being modest you look you look the part the black t-shirt i think well i'm i'm you know i've got podcasts set envy Anyway, look, let's well, talk here. I got my, my bunny <laughs> oh, shoes too, so don't All get right. too envious. All right, there we go. So just uh, just lowered it slightly. 
Um, look, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, talk about you um, and uh, what you offer the self-publishing community. First of all, let's yeah, let's let's get a bit into your background. Uh, you are a horror writer, screenwriter. Yeah, I do pretty much everything, um, and it's not because like I'm uber talented or anything like that. It's just I grew up around stories and they're very comfortable for me. And when I lost my job as like a grown up real person, I had to do something else. And stories, stories was the only thing I was good at. <laughs> well, there you go. That sounds like the reason a lot of us are right. Yeah, yeah. And it was definitely it's more fun than being a lawyer. I'll tell you that much. 100 um, percent. So when did you start? And what have you what, what would people know that you've uh, you've worked on? Um, well, I started, uh, honestly, I started writing when I was like three years old. I started reading and writing early because my dad was the creative writing director for a major university. So it was just part of the air. And uh, but I, I didn't want to be that starving artist guy that's kind of stereotypical. So I became a lawyer. Um, and then we lost our job. When, or I lost my job when the recession fell, hit everybody and the housing market fell apart and everything. And and so I spent a lot of time writing Um just trying to catch up. So I wrote a couple of screenplays for really great screenplays that through the magic of Hollywood turned into pretty bad movies. Um, but they, you know, they paid the rent. And then since then I've written, I don't know, 50 books or so, most of which have been bestsellers in various countries. So um, I'm best known for horror, but I, if you like reading, there's probably something I've written that you'll yeah. enjoy if you haven't read it already. <laughs> why, why do so many great novels and great screenplays get turned into movies that don't work? Oh, well, I can answer for the the screenplays. I didn't understand it until I got into the business. But people say, why are so so many crappy movies made? And I take them and show them the credits scroll, you know, and I go, every single one of those people has the absolute power to ruin the movie. Yeah. It's not why are there so many bad movies? It's kind of amazing. Any good ones get made. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have to get to a point where you're a big director and people dare not overrule you anymore. And then you've got to hope that they're good. Um, yeah, because, and then, they and can then misuse you got your that position. Problems. Yeah, you can misuse that yep. position. Um, I think yeah. Quentin Tarantino is somebody who thrives by himself and produces great movies still, whereas Christopher Nolan, I think, is, probably needs an editor now. It's my... Yeah, oh, for sure. And a sound, a better sound designer, because yeah. I like to hear dialogue, but I might be weird that way. Yeah. Well, you get a lot of dialogue <laughs> with Quentin, of course, but so, yeah. Um, okay, so, so that's your background, big writer. And I know that now you are focusing, well, probably still writing, I'm sure, but focusing on the self-publishing community. So what are, what are you doing? Um, yeah, I'm definitely still writing. I'm actually going to go on a national book tour uh, in a couple of months for about six weeks, so uh, which is really nice. It'll be my first traditional publishing. I'm going over to the dark side a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've got a, a platform called Bestseller Life that's basically, there's a lot of really successful people who teach great courses. Um, my unique position is I'm the only person I know of that's gotten to this level and done 100% of it myself. Like, I don't outsource anything. I do all the story stuff, obviously, but I do the book covers. I do the advertising myself. I write the copy. So, you know, it's just a, an aim to help people understand principles because I found that writing success is a lot like it's a lot like losing weight. Like I can walk past a brownie and gain 10 pounds, you know, and then there's people who can eat everything and they still look gorgeous. Like my wife always looks good and I'm kind of jealous of that. Um, but so everybody's different and everybody's got different modes of success and paths to it, but there's still principles. So like eat a little less, exercise a little more. Um, and I think publishing is a lot like that. You know, you, you do certain things over and over and everyone's going to put your unique spin on it. You know, like if I come out of the gate doing everything James Blatch does or everything Mark Dawson does, I'm going to fail. Like if I copy him word for word, because I'm not them. 
But if I look at you guys and say, oh, these are some things I see repeated amongst successful people. Um, and, and again, my thing is like, and I did it all. So I can tell you, I'm not offsetting. And I'm like, I was the guy who's poor in his mom's basement being like, I got to figure out how to do covers by myself because I can't afford <laughs> to give that out. And now I enjoy it. And it's part of my process. Yeah. So you're really kind of like the bootstrapping author. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so for sure. I, I came with nothing. I didn't have a background in the industry. I didn't have fans. I built it from zero to where I am. Yeah. Um, and covers suddenly have become a little bit easier with AI, although I know there's uh, some controversies around that, but it has changed things. Yeah, it has. But I, I think it's interesting. You can still tell, like I can look at a picture and I think most people can and say AI, AI, AI. I think it'll get to a point where that's harder, but even so there is still something a little more mechanical about it. And, you know, I think that, that AI has value to it. And I think a lot of authors and, and artists in general are, are up in arms about it and scared. It's like the internet, you know, it didn't make movies disappear. It changed them. It didn't make storytelling disappear. It changed it. And we have to adapt as self-publishers. We have to, instead of looking at it and going, ah, it's a monster, be like, how am I going to slay and subdue that creature? Um, and I think we can, and we can figure out a way to not only do that, but make it work for us. So AI is a great starting point. And I've certainly gone into like mid journey and done a prompt, not so I can create a, a finished cover that way, but because I'm not a visual person, yeah. <laughs> it can be like dragon fighting little boy and go, yeah, okay. That's a good, now I know I want for my cover kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. That is actually, I think a really good use of AI is a great expression. Someone came up with when I was in a, a conference in, um, in Spain earlier this year, it takes away the blank page. As, oh, we often work, yeah. work by ourselves. Don't we? We sit there at a computer thinking about plot or taglines or, or imagery and AI can be like a, a really well-informed mate who says, well, what about this? What about that? And that isn't what you're 100%. necessarily, you aren't going to go off and use that necessarily, but what you are going to do is start that process of, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I love that. Like my wife is part of my quality control process. I read her every single book. She's not a professional author and she'll give me like a comment. She'll say, here's a suggestion. And we've, we've been married long enough. You know, she's not injured if I say, well, that doesn't work. We're moving on from that. Um, sometimes she says great things, but she's not a professional. But just the very fact that she's talking to me about it gets my brain thinking in new ways so that I can say, Oh, wait, that does spark something. You're, you didn't solve the problem with your comment, but you, your comment got me thinking the right way. Yeah. Um, and definitely I've turned to AI and been like, hey, do an analysis of this and tell me. And usually the answer is dumb. But just that process <laughs> gets me to the right, <laughs> to the right answer. Yeah. Although, do you know what? I'm thinking this through now. The other day I went to, uh, I was saying to Mark on the podcast, I went to Paris for, um, uh, for various reasons, but I was going to do a little bit of research there for my book. And I had a long walk, like an hour walk across Paris where I knew my character was going to end up and had a fantastic sort of thought process going on by the end of that walk. And yeah. Mark reminded me that walking is really good for thinking. And I was just having that conversation with you. You sit at your desk and you've got this you know, blank page and you need a prompt and stuff. But actually, you can have that conversation with yourself, but it's not going to happen sitting at a desk staring at a computer. It's going to happen after no. half an hour of being alone in your own thoughts and walking or whatever. And we don't do that enough. Yeah, no, my, that's, that's another thing that I definitely like, that's actually part of my process. I have a whole thing of how to get ideas on bestseller life because people have trouble with that. Yep. And I never have. And part of it is my family understands finally, like when I'm walking around in circles, mumbling, that's probably my hardest work time. Don't bother daddy. First of all, I'm incoherent because they're like, Hey, the house is on fire to go, but what if the mummy 
doesn't die, you know, so I'm in a totally different universe. Um, but that's such a, you know, that kinesthetics, the movement of it. And also just the fact like when we're focused a hundred percent, it doesn't let our subconscious play in the background. We're so focused on a problem. So if I'm like, sometimes my wife will go, you're stuck, play a video game and I'll sit and play, you know, I'll, I'll play some mindless shoot 'em up. This is not the time for a deep RPG kind of experience. I'm just like, I'm going to blow up some people in Sweden, you know, and play online. And five minutes later I go, Oh, the mummy does die. Stupid Michael Britton. I'm back to work. You know? Yeah. Um, I think too many of us obsessed with typing as the end all of writing. Like we hear, what's your word count? And that's such an irrelevant question. Cause like I can bang out, I have put out 25,000 words in a day. Hmm. Were they good words? Were they useful words? Would I have been better spent sitting at the movies coming up with a better story than just cranking? You know, um, writing is so much more than just that simple act of I did 300 words, I did 3000 words, whatever it is. It's a creative process. And it was nice being a lawyer. One thing it taught me is like I build the clients when I was thinking about their brief, because that was part of my job was figuring out how to present to the judge. But if we're writers and we sit there with our you know, bunny slippers and we go, I'm going to think it's like we're feeling guilty because we're not typing. But that's part of the process. And that's actually one of the coolest things is we get to daydream. And why yeah. why steal the fun of such a hard job? Yeah, it is such a cool thing, isn't it? But it's both yeah. for me. I, I struggle a little bit with I haven't actually struggled with ideas until the book I'm on now. when I for whatever reason, I, the plot isn't coming to me in the same way. But I, I both love and hate this stage because it is actually the most magical phase of writing a book when you're coming up with the idea at the beginning and the character journeys yeah. and, and stuff. And you're creating what feels like real life. You're creating it in your mind. And it will mean something to some people when they read it in the future. They'll shed a tear <laughs> totally. or they'll laugh or whatever. And uh, when you think yeah. that, was, that was just me walking down the street having that thought, it is. And everything we've ever loved in the cinema and every book we've ever read has started like that. Um it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it, you know, it sucks when people say I have writer's block and I'm stuck and I'm lost in my head. And I'm like, you're not, you're not stuck in your head. You're, you're in your own playground. You know, you've just forgotten it's a playground. You think it's this dark place. So let's find a way to turn on the lights because everything's there. I mean, the people who say I have to write, and that's the definition of a writer is the only thing that's worse than writing is not writing. Like you have to do it all the time. Yeah. And anybody who's in that position, I guarantee you've got just incredible, incredible amounts of stuff to work with in your own head. Um, sometimes it's just, yeah, go out and take a walk. Forget about word count today. Go watch a really crappy movie, but bring a notepad and write every funny thing that comes to mind as they do something stupid in the movie. You know, by the time you get out there, you it's not that you thought of your plot already. It's that you reminded yourself how much awesome thing, things go on in your brain and how many cool things you've already done and how many cool things you have yet to do. And, and it is, it's such a magical thing. Yeah. So you're, you're um, teaching your course of community. You, you teach writing process as well as the marketing side of things. Yeah. So it's like I say, it's literally everything and it's, it, I update it weekly. So it's not like a static thing. I'm actually doing basically Michael Brent's start to finish right now. So I, I start out with before you even start writing, how do you get into a good saleable concept? 
Um, how do you come up with the concept? And, and I've done how to keep writing, you know, how to keep the ideas flowing. And next we're going to talk about cover work. Cause at this point I do, I'm writing my book and I'm like, ah, crap, I better come up with a pretty picture for the front, you know? Um, and it goes through that whole thing, but yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the different genres. Cause again, I write, the only thing I think I haven't written is erotica, but I, if you can think of another genre, I've written it fairly successfully. So like I can sit down and say, here's comedy, here's horror, here's romance, here's Westerns, here's all this stuff. Um, and I delight in that because they're all so fun. You know, I used to be kind of like, oh, I would never write a romance until I wrote a romance and had a tremendous amount of fun doing it. <laughs> so stories are just so neat. And, and it's so fun to be able to take any, it's like I can take any equipment and build a cool house out of it. And it might not be a house everybody loves, you know, not everybody likes romance or horror or whatever, but I will make something that someone will enjoy and someone will be maybe edified and uplifted or encouraged to live their better life that way, um, which I think we need more of. The world needs more good stories. So I'm so happy when I see things like Mark's courses are so well done and so professional. I'm glad when I see that versus I do hate when someone says, I'll show you the secrets to be a bestseller. And you look at their Amazon page and they have mm. two books eight total reviews and you're like, you sold six copies. How yeah. come you can't do it? <laughs> and there's a surprising number of those around. I see the Facebook ads get served oh my to me goodness. quite often and uh, yeah, oh my goodness. telephone number rank. Yeah. Uh, first thing to check. You, does it not um, hold you back a bit, the, the swapping of genres? You know, friends of mine who've written just in two genres have felt they may, they sort of regret not sticking to one and really hammering it. There's pluses and minuses, I guess. So like my bread and butter has been horror. So I do, I typically would do a horror and then a non-horror and a horror and a non-horror. And my fans like me enough, they'd read the other stuff. And then, but if I stayed too far from being scary, they'd go scare us again. Um, but, you know, I think the world is easier when you can monetize more things, which is also why I do screenplays and, and I've done audiobook stuff and, um, and surprisingly, like my big publishing contract that I'm like, literally they're flying me all over the place in March because I'm doing this, like you're a special author kind of thing. It's middle grade fantasy, you know? Um, and where would I be if I hadn't made that connection? If, if I met the lady who's now the managing editor of this publishing house and she goes, well, I like middle grade. And I just said, well, I scare people, you know, like I, I sat down and said, tell me about your business. And that's one of the the neat things about being an author is we get to be professionally ignorant forever. Like yeah. we don't have that pressure of most grownups of having to think we know it all because people expect us to be kind of infantile and silly anyway. So we can walk up and say, tell me about your job and tell me about your life and allow that curiosity to infect everything we do. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's downsides. Obviously, it's it confuses the Amazon algorithm to some extent, like people who also bought on yeah. my page looks really psychotic sometimes. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I find more fulfillment. And ultimately, that's really what it's about is like, why do this? Why do this hard job, this all odds against you job, this up and down job with a nomadic lifestyle of, with no, I have the job security of a high level crack whore, you know, and why do that if you're not going to at least enjoy what you're doing? And I enjoy just telling stories. Yeah. So tell us about this trad um, routes you were going down. This must feel a little bit different for you. Yeah, it is weird. It's in my biggest fear. It's funny because like when I first started, like everybody, I wanted to be trad pub because I started before Kindle, you know, um, and then Kindle became my method of being able to support myself because no trad pub wanted me. Um, and then it got to a point where I was getting offers, but I was like, that's actually a pay cut. So I can't work with you. 
Um, and, and now I actually, I did take a bit of a pay cut to work with these people, but they're delightful and fun. But my biggest fear was like, what if they suck? Like at this point, what if I do a better cover than they're going to do? Or what if I know more about marketing? Um, so it's been weird to come in, but it's also very, um, it's very empowering to be a professional in the room. Like I remember the first screenplay I sold, I just sat down and signed whatever they gave me because I just was so pleased that somebody liked me and I needed the job and all of these things. And so to be able to walk in and say, look, I would love to work with you. Um, let's make a win-win deal versus just you win. And I know enough about it to know what that looks like. Uh, so it's been really great and, and offering to help them. Um, and also I have less ego than an early writer because early writers are so grounded in like what they have as their vision. Um, so I was talking with them and they were, trying to wind up to a change. And I said, look, I'm married. I'm a happily married dad. I have no ego. I'm used to being in the back of the line. Just tell me what you want to change because I'm only interested in the story. I don't care if Michael Brent looks good. I want the story to be awesome. Um, and I think that that comes with a little bit of age and seasoning is the ability to take critiques and say, yeah, that works. Or a couple of them, they're like, let's change this. And I said, that'll eviscerate the story. So let's not do that. And they responded really well. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a different process, not being Gollum in my cave, but working with a team. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun. It's been delightful. And they're, they're nice people to work with. I mean, there's a trick, I think, to allowing another creative person to take your story and be creative with it. And it's, I did have a conversation with an author a couple of years ago who was approached by a film company and it didn't get very far because they were telling them, oh, I don't like the direction you're going, or I don't want you to do this, and we want control over it, we're going to ha have to have authority over every... And I was thinking, yeah, but they make films and you write books. It's a very different thing. And they've made, oh, a, totally. made a gazillion films and just trust them and enjoy the enjoy what they're going to do with your work. Um, I can understand yeah, there might be yeah. some red lines, but give a bit of space to a fellow creative. Yeah, and it, look, lightning... It trapping it in a bottle's hard. So, you know, my first experience watching one of my own movies was so bad. I, I, I was supposed to do the DVD extras. So they called me in and it was the screening room and there were seats and, and it was just me and I'm watching the movie and my name comes up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be famous. And, and it was terrible. So I walk out and the whole production team is sitting there like, what did you think? Uh. And my, my first thought was you paid me a lot of money. I would like more of that money. Yeah. I don't want to lie, you know, and I'm struggling. And I finally came up with the music was good because it was such a, you know, they had done a bad job um, and they actually started laughing. They're like, it's terrible. It's not your fault. There was problems behind the scenes. Uh, and that happens, but it was nice. They were like, kind of, everything's a bit of a test in that industry to see if you can be someone they can work with. I call it the a-hole meeting. It's like your final meeting before you get the job. It's just sitting there and chatting because they want to know if you're a douchebag or if you're willing to work with them. Um, and authors, we get really precious about our work. And I think we lose out on so many opportunities when we're like that. Yeah. I'm pleased. I'm pleased that's the case. And I, I always felt that I was on the fringes of, I guess I've been saying working for the BBC, but in news. But, you know, I worked in the same building. They produced lots of, uh, of big comedy shows and, and, uh, and drama. And nine times out of ten, when you met somebody famous, they were lovely, wonderful people. Occasionally, they were assholes. But yeah. I, I guess they were like the exceptions. They had to be exceptionally talented. But I do, I do think to anybody who's going up the ranks in any industry, just be nice. Because, yeah, you know, it's going it's, to, it's, it's not, the, the opposite of that is not going to work for you in the long run. And, and by no. God, you better be really talented if you're going to be rude to the, to the makeup person. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I live by is like, you can't control, you can't walk into a room and say, I'll be the most successful in this room. There's too many factors involved. Yeah. But you can walk in and say, I'm going to be the most professional and the kindest person in the room. And that's going to do more for your career in the long run. Like I know Mark is great friends with one of my just superheroes, um, Joanna Penn of the Creative Pen, which is a wonderful podcast. And she saved my career. You know, the industry changes a lot and it changed one of those times and everything toileted. And I basically was like, I'm retiring because I can't, I can't sustain my family. And she was one of the people who reached out and said, how do we keep you in this business? And I like, I like to think that part of it was she likes my books, you know, but she was really upfront. She also just likes me. She thinks I'm a nice person and, and it's reciprocated. Joanna is so wonderful. Mm. Um, and, but treating people nicely, it has that benefit. When I, if I had announced I'm leaving and I'm, you know, kind of the stereotypical artiste, everyone would have said, well, we got what you want. We wanted out of you. But if you walk in and you, you know, brighten up every room that you work with, they're going to be like, well, how do we keep you around? You're a valuable asset and people will be pulling for you. And we need that. This is a very lonely and difficult career. So you need people in your corner to buoy you up during the hard times. And also just to reach out and say, Hey, can I loan you a dollar or can I give you a job? You know, this is not a a steady thing for 99, even the successful people, the trajectory isn't usually this. It's like, I'm doing great. Ah, crap. I'm doing great. Ah, crap. (laughs) So you need people around you. Yeah. Be nice. I think it was, I think it was Tom Hanks who was asked about in the tips for young actors. And instead of talking about looking into your soul and finding the truth or whatever, he said, turn up on time know where you're supposed to be standing, know the names of the people around you and make it as easy as possible for everybody to do their jobs. And then you do yours. It was like a lesson in being professional. Um, Yeah. A hundred percent. I actually, when I was doing the right, they did the uh, red lines for my book for this traditional publishing company. So there's all these markups and stuff. And, um, and I went through and commented on them all. And I got an email back from the editor uh, who was reading it. And I was worried she was going to be like, you, you complain too much, but she was like, I actually am having my friends read your comments because they're so fun, you know? And that's a nice dialogue to have. And it puts you in a better position to say, this is one I, that it matters. Can we not change this? Oh, sure. You made me laugh about the thing I did in the last comment. Let's not change your thing. Yes. Um, yeah. It just, it makes it so much easier if you're kind to people. What was it like getting red lines from a, a trad publisher? Were they, did they ask for significant changes and I'll tell you, they did and they didn't. Again, it's like I have gotten over the artiste part of myself. I tell people I'm making hamburgers, you know, I'm I'm hopefully not making crappy McDonald's hamburgers, but I'm making something wrong with a Big Mac occasionally. No, well, there there isn't. But I'd rather be like the guy who can mass produce a beautiful, you know, big hamburger. Um, and and so if you don't like pickles, I'll figure out how to put pickles off of it and still have a good taste. So there was a lot of changes. There was only one that I really went crazy on. And I wrote like a two and a half page letter about, please don't do this. And it was just the way they formatted one of the poems. And, and she came right back and she's like, just say, I don't like it. And I'll change it. Cause yeah. we had that rep- rapport <laughs> by then, you know? Um, so I was like stressing out. I'm like, this will ruin the way the visual look of the page. And ah, she was like, I would have changed it. No problem. Um, but it was really neat. Again, you can either go in and say, they're going to change my perfect book. Or you can go in and say, hey, I'm going to listen to cool advice from professionals and learn stuff. And yeah. one of them, you're going to be unhappy all the time. And and also, even as a self-pubber, like our audience is our boss. And if you can't read reviews, if you read a thousand reviews and all thousand are four stars and they say, I took a star off because this same thing, change that freaking thing about your writing 
or get a different business. You know, like it is collaborative. If you want to be successful, you're collaborating with the audience you have and the audience you hope to develop. Yeah. Do you talk about collaboration a lot in the course about particularly with with the audience with um because that's a big thing indies are much better at I think than a lot of trad authors is is being a part of their own readership. Yeah, I definitely do because it, yeah, you, the the days are gone where you can have a New York penthouse as a successful author and just slide your short story out for the agent to pick up outside the mailbox, you know, like there's stories about that. Um I think it was maybe Truman Capote would just leave a story on the credenza outside his outside his penthouse, they'd go out and there would be a check. And that was the interaction, you know, and now we are the product and it doesn't matter if we're self pub or trad pub. Like if you want to be successful, you don't know a lot of trad pub people that don't do any book tours that don't interact, you know, like if they've got a big business, it's because they're putting themselves out there. Um, and there's goods and bads about that. Like I really would never want to have to go to the supermarket and have people notice me because like, this is what I'm working with. I'm not Tom Cruise. Um, but it is fun to reach out. It is emotionally taxing to have these interactions because most authors are introverts. Um, so it takes some effort, but it's also wonderful to get an email that says, oh, the book you wrote was awesome, but I write or I read all your books, even the ones I don't like because you're so nice, you know? And that's happened so many times where I have people that have dropped 400 bucks on me at a comic con. They're like, I'll never read these. I'm going to give them away. I hate this kind of book, but you're so cool. Mm. Um, and I'm like, well, thank you. I will take your money. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the cool, the cool dividend. Um, yeah. In, now your background in film and screenwriting, are you in a better position? Do you think than the rest of us to get your books ad adapted? Yes and no. I mean, like I might know more people, but it's still, it's such a crapshoot and it's so hard. Um, I had a manager who was just lovely, who was my screenwriting manager. And I gave her this script and she literally, she's like, clear your weekend. She read it in a single, like a day, less than a day. She called a couple back hours, called back a couple hours later and said, clear your weekend. This thing is selling. And it was in the trades, you know, there's like these lists of hot scripts going around. She had two attorneys call to like pitch me why they should represent me for the deal. Crickets, uh -huh. you know, and this was like the most certain I've ever seen somebody. Um, and and then there's been others where I kind of threw it out there and forgot about it. And three years later, they're like, hey, remember you gave us that script? Can we buy it now? Because we have financing. Um, so like I have a better email contact list than the average person. Um, but I built that from scratch. I didn't know anybody in the industry. I just entered contests and, and it's like writing. You kind of gradually become more well-known by people. I tell people it's the great barrier reef. You can, you can see it from space, you know, but it's unicellular creatures basically. Uh, and it's their skeletons. So you see this marvelous beauty based off of the death of countless dreams. And that's your writing career is like you fail, you fail, you yeah. fail, but you keep doing it. And suddenly it works. It's this, beautiful, massive thing. Yeah. Learning how to fail and the learning the value of failing is uh, an important part of our business. Totally. Totally. Uh, so what's next for you? You're, obviously you've, you've got this deal with the publishers. Is it going to be a series? Uh, we are about to start negotiating for book two. So yes, it looks like it will be. Um, they're really excited about it. So that's always nice to have them behind you. They're a marketing lead called and they're like the managing editor says, this is the book of the spring. So I have to treat you nice. And that's a nice thing to hear. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've got that going. I'm always writing another book because you always keep writing. There's so many people that get stuck like in the publicity and they forget to be a writer and you just, you can't be a writer unless you're writing. 
Um, so I'm working on a book. I've got another screenplay that I'm working on um, and I'm doing the bestseller life stuff. So I'm, I'm busy and I try and be a reasonably good dad and husband. And then every five free minutes I sleep. Yes. <laughs> it's important to get those uh, eight minutes of night in uh, at some points. But uh, whether you need them or not, whether you need them or not. Well, Michael Brent, you better tell people where people can find you. Uh, easiest places to find me. You can find me at bestsellerlife.com. I'm helping people to become their own best story. Um, you can also find me just by typing my first name, which is Michael Brent. It's all one word. And I'm the only one on the planet. There is a Michael Space Brent. He is an underwear model. Okay. That's not me. I don't want you being disappointed if we meet in person. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, just Google Michael Brent. The only other James Blatcher routinely comes up on the internet is a big bodybuilder in Sydney. And um, it's easy to confuse us though. Right. Like, yeah. look at that. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't want people walking up and being like, you're not handsome. <laughs> you do you do yourself down too much, Michael Brent. Well, look, um, it's been, uh, it's been energizing. Do you know what? Talking to you, it's been energizing. Oh, I, fe I feed you. off your energy, which is great. And your enthusiasm for the business and lots of really good, clear, concise, common sense comments about it. I hope people have got something out of the interview. I certainly have. Thank you. That's so, and this has been delightful. So let me know anytime you have a hole and I will fill the time for you because I can fill stuff with I, my words. I'm I, a writer and lawyer. I could tell you, you, you are about to write an erotica at some point. If that's, that's the yeah. <laughs> how you start your sentences. Just wait. You're going to be my muse, James. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We'll get one out of you, so to speak. Michael Brent, thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. This is the self-publishing show. There's never been a better time to be a writer. Michael Brent Collins. That is an unusual name, you've got to have to say. He says, to be fair, he is the only one he's ever heard of. And if you Google Michael Brent, he comes up. Um, wow, that's quite Whereas there's lots of Mark Dawson's I noticed the other day. On a search, I can't remember what I was searching for, but um, um, I mean, there's a Craig Dawson's, your brother, plays Premier League football, but there's um, know that one. Yeah. There's quite a few Mark Dawson's around as well in all various fields. Well, they are, there are, yeah. So they're not that surprising. Not not a particularly unusual name. Um, not many James Blatches, I shouldn't think. No, well, there's, there's, the, there's the there's the one guy, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. This is my friend James. Easy to mistake. Easy to mistake the two of you. It's um, you know, I've seen, never seen you both in the same room together. Exactly. Look at these pecs. Well, if I go to Australia next year, I shall go and say hello to him. Now that he's out of prison as well. Um, well, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he's having an interesting, colourful life. wasn't his fault. Right, uh, look. That's I what think, they all say. Yeah, no, it wasn't. He was badly advised. That's what he said. Uh, that is it uh, from us. That's what they all week. say. Oh, I should also say, well done <laughs> on your solo effort last week. That was a really good sort of 42 minutes um, uh, I know. discussion One last take, week. that's what they call me. One yeah, take Dawson. one take Dawson. Yeah, well, it's great. I do the editing at the moment, so I'm uh, particularly Nice delighted. and easy. <laughs> yeah, with that. <laughs> Um, but no, well, no yeah. I had some nice, nice comments. Actually, you did, um, yeah. They go down really well. Those episodes, I hate to say. Catherine. Yeah, well, yeah. Makes your job a bit easier. Catherine um, said she was very impressed that I do the cooking or some of the cooking. Yes, and I, I think she, uh, her husband, may have got one in the year after she listened to that. And then Lucy, Lucy actually listened to it on the way home from. Um, was she her, was she her, surprised her, to hear her, you do the cooking as well? <laughs> well, she does. She does eat most of it, but. Um, yeah, no, um, she was, um, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was quite like doing that. It was, it was a useful one. So as, as I said in the in the last week, if people want something that they'd like me to talk about, I am very happy to take requests. And that was someone asked me specifically about time management. And I'm not an expert on it, far from it. I think there are things I could definitely improve, but that's just kind of how I balance the things on my plate. I um, think, think people found it really useful. Um, I forgot to say I went to see Napoleon last night. 
Have you seen Napoleon yet? I haven't. I can't say I'm rushing out to see it. Well, I think we should have a quick quick mention of it because it is obviously gaining quite a lot of, uh, of attention. Quite a lot of criticism from, from historians, but I think what's interesting about it from a story point of view is unlike a lot of Ridley Scott films, if you think about the story for Gladiator, that it was a compelling story that you were hooked on from beginning to end, and in the background was the Roman Empire and all the history, whereas Napoleon, surprisingly for him, was basically just a series of scenes from Napoleon's life weren't particularly linked. He was a fully formed character at the beginning and was at the end. So apart from the fact there were some historical discrepancies, but having said that, it is magnificent to watch in the cinema. I mean, if, particularly if you have even a passing interest in military history, it is uh, it is fantastic. So I would. Do you have a passing interest? In military I do have. History? A, I do. But Jill enjoyed it as well. She said the she said the battle scenes were astonishing, which they are. Okay. Um, and actually, his coronation. There's a there's a fantastic oil painting by J. L. David, very famous painting of his coronation. And that scene was done so beautifully. Of even I noticed that the woman's head was turned in the background exactly as that portrait is but that was a, a real treat to see those the way that being put together it reminded me of um of uh, what was the mel gibson christ film passion of the christ where he sort of recreated the pieta at the end in this fantastic cinematic moment so yeah but story-wise for us as authors mm, interesting to watch it and see well how would you how would you have done that would i think focusing on on the detail i particularly liked because he's quite he's notoriously grumpy i know someone who used to work for him um he's a very grumpy um, man yeah ridley scott very grumpy man and he's taken quite a lot of heat from journalists about this is all bollocks none of this happened and his you know his response is well were you there yeah, were you there? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Isn't there a scene where he fires a cannon at the pyramids, and yes, and he, and that didn't happen. And and um, he's, and he, were he you also there? he also went home from Alexandria because Josephine was reportedly having well, she was having an affair, and he didn't do that right. either. But um, I kind of don't yes. mind things like that because any story is an adaptation, and and to get the essence of what happened, the feeling, the emotion over, you sometimes have to play with events a bit. I'm I'm reasonably relaxed on that. The historians perhaps. A little bit more, um, uh, less humorous. Well, it's the whole thing. I mean, very similar with the crown, isn't it? The uh, yeah. The, you know, there's lots of. I mean, no one really knows what the royals talk about, right. so you have to you have to take quite a large uh, kind of bit of uh, poetic license when when doing that. But you know, I, I do find it all a little bit silly when MPs going. You need to have a disclaimer at the front saying this is not based on the truth. Yeah, no does. shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pretty pretty obviously. You know, we, we you know we. We're not going to be um, in the same bedroom as Philip and Elizabeth talking about what Charles has done. It's obviously, obviously you, that's how, it's made up. You, have you watched the latest series up to? I haven't. I've watched the first one. I, I'm waiting for the ghost. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Diana ghost, um, which has been ridiculed I, in I, pretty much I, everything I've read. Slight spoiler alert. The first words from the uh, from Diana's ghost are, ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I I can see what they're trying to do. I mean, what you've got is you've got Charles wrestling with guilt and crushing grief and shock, reconciling, having a conversation with Diana to reconcile what happened. And I don't think that's unusual. I think that's the sort of thing that does happen when you have a shocking death of someone close to you. I think you probably do have a conversation with them in your mind, and that's what they try to, to do. But a lot of people do see it as... Are they trying to say that Diana's ghost appeared? No, it was like a metaphor of what was happening in in Charles's mind and the Queen's. But anyway, I know they I, had to. They, I mean, I love Peter Morgan's a brilliant writer. I love. Almost he must have known done, it was but, going to going to attract some ridicule. There's someone who had to sit him down and go, "Mate, 
come on there <laughs> has to be another way because this is gonna this you, you you i know what you're trying to achieve but this is not the way to do it um anyway i've reserved judgment because i haven't seen it yet, yeah I, I, suspect... I mean the whole episode i i mean i can tell you hands up i cried through that episode again um I think it was oh very, my god it was a very upsetting period um you know, it's a young, beautiful mother who we were all so yeah. familiar with suddenly killed, and it was it was upsetting. and uh, And they do it very, very well uh, in the um, in the Crown. Anyway, I think we've waffled enough, but there is sort of author related mm. stuff uh, buried in there. Um, so it's interesting bit. to hear what people think of Napoleon as well. But uh, recommend, I would recommend it. Go and see it in the cinema. I wouldn't necessarily watch it on the small screen because I don't think the story is strong enough to 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 um, yeah know, to run it. What's the word? Sustain it, something like that. Right. That is uh, all that remains for me to say. This is a goodbye from him. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Get show notes, the podcast archive, and free resources to boost your writing career at selfpublishingshow.com. Join our thriving Facebook group at selfpublishingshow.com forward slash Facebook. Support the show at patreon.com forward slash selfpublishingshow. And join us next week for more help and inspiration so that you can make your mark as a successful indie author. Publishing is changing, so get your words into the world and join the revolution with The Self-Publishing Show.